Hello everybody, welcome to mastermind.fm. This is Jean Galea from WP Mayer and WP RSS Aggregator. And this episode will be about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, perhaps specifically. I've got my good friend Mitchell Callahan, who's been with us on this show right about last year in September for episode 28, where we introduced Bitcoin to our audience. And back then I was quite a beginner in the space. I like to think that I've learned a few things since then, but I've definitely been more active in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies with regards to trading and investing. And so I'm very happy to have you, Mitchell, back with us today. Yeah, thanks, dude. And uh, yeah, you've definitely come along with it. And uh, <laughs> it's amazing how much Bitcoin itself has changed, too. If anyone listened to that first episode, if you hopped in the space, I'm sure they're pretty happy right now. Yep, that's right. So thank you again for introducing me to this wonderful world. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> I must say I lost about a year in terms of just spending so much time reading about the stuff. I've heard story yeah. over and over again, so you're not alone. <laughs> All right. For other people who are new to Bitcoin, I suggest they first listen to the other episode. I think pretty much everything that we discussed back then is still relevant. Obviously, there is a big difference in the price. I think it was around 600 euro and now it's about 6,000 euro. So 10 times higher. But anything we said back then is probably still applicable. And you're one of those guys who sticks to the basic principles, Mitchell. And this is why I say with full confidence that anything we discussed is still relevant. While other people speak about new coins and fads, you stick out to the basic principles about Bitcoin. So I guess it's good to view. Just tell us what you believe Bitcoin is, in short, and why it's useful so that we make sure everything, everyone has the right picture of where we're coming from here. Yeah, awesome. When you've been in the space long enough, you start seeing these patterns that emerge. And so often you get these new shiny things, which people can get distracted by. You've seen it, you know, three, four, ten times before. Um, so you, you don't really get distracted by these things. And the importance of Bitcoin, again, is simple. We've got a currency now that uh, is distributed. So you don't have a central entity that uh, has control. So what that means is now we don't have inflation. So the value uh, is maintained over time. In fact, the value often goes up, as we've seen. No one can restrict the flow, so you can send money wherever you like, and no one can also seize it from you. So your money in safekeeping, um, there's not going to be any bailouts uh, paid by you, Jean Galea. You know what I mean? So it's the safest money in the world, in my opinion. All right. So obviously, all the news has been all over Bitcoin during this past year, as due to its meteoric rise, obviously. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of big statements come out in favor and against Bitcoin. We recently had the Chinese government, I guess they banned exchanges, right? Correct. Yeah. And then we have Diamond Guy who came out and said, <laughs> that, was it Bitcoin is a bubble or I don't even remember right now. It's just all those old guys. They're just, they all think it's a fad. Yeah. Uh, the, the funny thing is that, as you say, things keep repeating themselves, but Every time something like that hits the news, my parents message me and say, do you see this latest <laughs> article? I say, I know about it. <laughs> Not the first The only time. thing that changes, the only thing that changes I find now is the scale. Um, mm -hmm. So it's the same news, but now it's just on a bigger scale. Yeah. And so I wanted to discuss because before this episode, I actually asked publicly for people to submit their questions so we could discuss them on the episode. One of the first questions we had 
was how can central banks influence Bitcoin? Central banks, governments, banks, whatever. And we had two news items, which I just showed you from Cointelegraph. Obviously, they were covered by other news sites as well. And it was the Vietnamese central bank bans cryptocurrencies and the United Arab Emirates central bank governor warning against the use of cryptocurrencies as a medium of payment. So let's start with outright bans. Is this possible? Does it make any sense? Uh, no. And I mean, uh, to the credit of the central banks, I mean, they're, they're facing probably their biggest competitor. Um, and, and, and they've been in a space that has been so uncompetitive for, you know, the, almost a century. So I, I understand why they would be doing what they're doing. But in terms of enforcing it, there's really not much they can do, nor has there been anything that anyone has done. Russia bans cryptocurrencies. This was several years ago. And then again, they, they retracted that. And now Russia's apparently investing more and trying to invest more into the cryptocurrency space. But uh, no, there's really not a lot they can do. I, I guess if you want to look at the other way, there there are some things they can do, but it's only really going to benefit cryptocurrency people. Like if they want to try and control a cryptocurrency, they might inflate the, you know, they can they can always print more money. So they, they might uh, inflate the price of the altcoin by buying up supply. But really, that's just going to help any uh, cryptocurrency holder. And they can try and influence decision making. But again, it's a technological challenge if they wanted to block it. And, and that's not really something that they know how to do. So let's say a country bans its citizens from holding or trading in Bitcoin or other cryptos. Mm. What happens then? Like yeah, so in that case, yeah. So I did have some friends in Russia, and I mean, they were quite a bit timid about accepting a cryptocurrency. So it's just something that pushes it, I guess, to the underground um, in that, you know, people aren't going to be talking about it in their day-to-day -day life. No, would you want to make that stuff known? Um, and I think a lot of people who've been in the space long enough kind of transition to that uh, way of speaking anyway. Like, I'll still always talk about cryptocurrency, or I, I say Bitcoin, but, uh, you know, you don't really talk about how much you have or anything like that because you don't want to be a target and we've got a similar situation in china that we already mentioned where the exchanges were shut down and i was reading just the other day that some chinese guys were saying that yeah the chinese exchanges are shut down it just means that we obtain our bitcoin in a different way and that's it and it's it's worth noting because you know people talk about the price of bitcoin it's not really reflective of the true price because only a small portion of transactions have, happen on these exchanges. Mm -hmm. the, the biggest transactions are happening over the counter and those aren't traced, you know, in, in the way that they would be on an exchange. So if anything, it just bumps up the price um, and people just go back to the way it's been done. I mean, once you've been in the game long enough, you know, people would start using things like local Bitcoins, but you eventually you just get like a broker yeah. um, and, and it's a way easier buying process. And again, to talk, talking about the exchanges and the price, like, I mean, because there's not that much order depth on exchanges, you don't really know the true price. You know the true price of Bitcoin when you're trying to buy huge lots of it. And then you realize how hard it is to really get a lot of those. And so this is the first time I actually hear about brokers. What do you mean by that? Is there like websites or is there people that you go to? Just people like that, you know, that uh, are buyers and sellers of Bitcoin. So you know, every country's got them in Canada, you know, there's a pretty good network of brokers. Some of them might just go to the exchange directly. They'll have good, good relationships with the exchange, get better volume deals. But really, a lot of them just have connections early on. So they know who the biggest uh, whales are and, and they can get uh, access to coins for you. So for me personally, like when I buy coins, I just go to a broker now. It's just so much easier. He just gives me a quote 
and I send in the money and I get my Bitcoin. Very interesting. And so how would people go about finding these brokers? Not in Canada, but maybe in other countries or even in Canada? Why not? Yeah, I mean, I would uh, go to localbitcoins.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find a lot there. Or you can go to uh, Bitcoin OTC, uh, which is a website where you can chat on IRC. And then at least you have a web of trust where you can verify people's, uh, you know, their reputation and their history mm-hmm. of trading. Or, you know, just go to your local meetup. And if you are a big enough buyer, a lot of the exchanges will do over-the-counter deals uh, so they can give you better rates. All right. Is there any volume that we're talking about here or... Like for people to get an indication whether they should be buying from exchanges or trying to find out these brokers. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing most listeners here would probably be in the game for just buying a couple of Bitcoin. So just keep it simple and, and hop on the exchange. But if you are a larger buyer, could be somebody out there. Just get in touch with the customer support and ask that they do over-the-counter deals. Because well, I've, I've done a lot of work with exchanges. I've worked with uh, four of the uh, major exchanges here in Canada, and they used to do that kind of stuff all the time. Hmm. Talking about exchanges, uh, we recently had the fork from Bitcoin and Bitcoin Gold. Yeah, nice. And <laughs> yeah, there was this uh, like a, an exchange, the exchange that I use, Kraken, didn't actually give the Bitcoin Gold. Yeah. And I believe there were other similar exchanges doing the same thing. Yeah. What happened here? Yeah, so this is the importance of holding your own keys. And so one of the things I've always told people to do is hold your own keys. Don't keep your money in exchange. Even some of the hardware wallets, like some of the hardware wallets are okay because you'll get your private keys, they'll give them to you. But what happens is when there's a fork, you know, some good people will get your coins on the new chain and credit them to you. But a lot of other times they'll just keep it for themselves and they pocket it. So when you have control of your own keys, which is the whole point of Bitcoin, um, whenever you get these forks, I kind of see them as, you know, nice dividends. So I was looking at the price of Bitcoin gold two nights ago and I was like, sweet, you know, this is just more Bitcoin than I could get. So, you know, those those are really good, easy ways to accumulate your Bitcoin holdings. So, you know, we've got that upcoming fork coming up for Segwit 2X. If you're, if you're in the game to buy Bitcoin, buy them before, I, th- I believe it's the 16th. And then immediately you've got a fork coming up and you're going to get a nice bump in your coin supply. Awesome. And so while we're talking about forks. Can you explain what a fork is? Are all forks equal? Are there different types of forks? Yeah, so this being a lot of WordPress listeners, they're quite familiar with forks. You know, WordPress was created from a fork. Uh, WooCommerce (laughs) was created from a fork. Um, So it's the same concept. You know, someone decides that they want to see the software run in a different direction. So they decide, okay, we're going to add these feature sets. They fork the Bitcoin Core uh, code and they updated and then you know people who want to support that version they will start running those nodes instead and so you being a bitcoin holder they will fork the chain on a specific date so if you held coins on the bitcoin chain you now hold them on the new forked chain so assuming you held your private keys like good practice like you should and um yeah so then they run different chains and so it's basically it's not bitcoin though because these coins these new coins that are created the new forks they're not fungible and that you can't spend Bitcoin on these new forks and vice versa. So they become completely different altcoins. Right. So Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Gold were two hard forks. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, exactly. And the upcoming SegWit fork is also a hard fork. That's correct. Yeah. And what do people mean when they say soft forks? Yeah, soft forks are when you you can run a new version of this and it's still going to be interoperable, like it's still going to work with older Bitcoin clients. So they might have new additional features, but they won't work if you're not using the older clients per se. But they'll like they can still run on the same chain. It's not a new chain. 
so then you see some of those like BIPs, the BIP mm-hmm. Bitcoin Improvement Protocol, whatever the BIPs. Yeah, yeah those those are off uh, soft forks. And so the new new coin is only created when there's a hard fork. That's correct. Yeah. And did we have any soft forks recently? You mentioned one of them. Uh, to be honest, I don't even pay attention to them anymore. I run a really old client. Mm-hmm. To me, they don't matter. I've got. To, I just don't pay attention right. anymore. Okay. <laughs> so you're old school in that area with storage and clients. Yeah, I do. It's tried and true, man. Most of this other stuff is complete nonsense. You don't need it. All right. And it's for malicious means. A lot of it's not for your benefit. Trust me. Tell us more about that. Oh, it's just people trying to, um, you know, they'll say things like, oh, the Bitcoin network mm-hmm. is, is full. Like we need more transaction volume, even though it's not full at all. And really what they're doing is injecting code to either make it insecure or to do some other thing in the way in the future to manipulate it. So it's a threat to a lot of people. I mean, so a lot of these people who are proposing these changes aren't altruistic people. I mean, they, they're paid by someone else, usually like um, a government entity. And this is like no joke. Like, I mean, they're, they're paid by MIT or someone like that. And, and their whole point is to thwart Bitcoin. I mean, it's a threat. And that's what, uh, you know, how a lot of people see it. Interesting. And I think it's also damaging to the reputation of Bitcoin, especially when it comes to new users. I mean, a lot of people who started buying Bitcoin because they heard our podcast or they heard me speak about it. They come to me and say, like, what is what's happening? You know, is that forking am i losing everything is it going to be worthless mm. and it creates a lot of doubts in people's minds yeah i can see that i mean uh it's just yeah. i mean one of the greatest tools is is people use to, to influence others is just you know fake news i guess but it's just influence and persuasion um, but w- again when you were in this space long enough and you and you know back then it was just a bunch of nerds who knew how this stuff worked you know, you, you understood the value and you just, just don't forget why Bitcoin was made in the first place. And then it's really easy to diffuse uh, what's junk and what's not. Um, you know, as soon as you start getting on these things like, oh, we need to issue more coins or we need more transaction volume. It's like, no, man, you don't need any of this stuff. I mean, just stick to why it was made in the first place. Put yourself back in the position of what the world was like at that time. And, um, and just make sure that that's, that, you know, that stays safe. I mean, that's really all I do. Is there any chance that the SegWit fork will actually replace the new coin created will replace Bitcoin as the dominant no. Uh, no. variant of Bitcoin? I mean, it's, so it's not going to happen. And uh, I've, I've heard that argument time and time again. Just go back to the days of Mike Hearn. That was I don't know, when we have the hernia, we call it. Uh, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was like three or four years ago or something. But it's the same crap. So no, it's not going to happen. It's just look at it as a sweet way to increase your uh, mm. Bitcoin holdings and you didn't have to spend anything. All right. So let's move on to the Bitcoin bubble, which obviously the quick increase and in the Bitcoin price has triggered lots of articles about Bitcoin being in a bubble. And I guess it's worth investigating because I haven't seen any other asset class rise so fast. Yeah. I think during my lifetime, you know, so it's probably something that we should all be thinking about. Yeah. And decide for ourselves whether we think it's in a bubble or not. Mm -hmm. One argument I've seen is that the transactions haven't really increased in this past year. And so the argument is that adoption is not growing at least not growing that fast compared to the price. And I think you mentioned something about the statistics of transactions that are happening on the exchanges. Is this something related? Are the official stats 
of transactions, only those available from exchanges? Uh, those would be for stats relative to how much the Bitcoin is selling for, because like uh, off the, you know, over the counter transaction, the, the sale price isn't going to be posted. Mm -hmm. um, but some things which exchanges are, are doing, because, you know, transaction fees are going up, rightfully so, you know, they, they can do a lot of their internal trades off the book and then do a, like a bulk settlement at the end of the day. There's no reason for them to keep all their transactions on chain. So that, that's one way to alleviate uh, transaction pressure. Um, but then I think a lot of people just seem to forget that Bitcoin's not a payment network. You know, it's uh, it's a settlement layer where you're storing your your value for safekeeping. Again, I've always said it's like your Swiss bank account in the clouds it's or, or your digital gold. It's there for keeping your money safe. You don't need to be sending your money around all the time. You know, a lot of guys who have lots of Bitcoins, uh, they don't need to be doing a lot of transactions. So I don't really even think that's a healthy indicator of the network. Look at the hash rate. That's the first thing I look at. Can you explain what the hash rate is? Yeah, I mean, the hash rate is just the amount of, uh, you know, hashing required in order to mine the next block. It's also the basically the, the castle wall. It's what keeps it safe. The, the higher the hash rate, the harder it is to try and uh, manipulate or overcome the Bitcoin network. Um, and now that hash rate is so strong. I mean, we've never seen a computer in the world like it. So the more that goes up, the more I just see there's more money, there's more value in Bitcoin. And it, that just means your funds are going to be safe into the future. Mm. So the hash rate relates to computing power behind the network. Correct. Yeah. And how does that increase or decrease? Yeah. So it's built into, well, the more, the more we talked about this a bit, actually, on the last one, mm -hmm. the more um, hash rate that gets added to the network, the difficulty will increase. Um, so it's just, if you look at the hash rate, it's pretty much been on a steady increase uh, for years. There's maybe once once in a while a little dip, but it's been on a steady increase. Um, and so the more and more and more people they want to mine and get those block rewards. So the more power you throw at the network, the harder it gets. So what's your thought about the, this latest increase? What was it driven? And I guess you you don't agree with Bitcoin being a bubble, but some kind of explanation. What? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Back to the bubble. Um, you know, it's it's just because, man, like I heard it was a bubble at uh, thirty dollars. I heard it was a bubble at three two hundred dollars. I heard it was a bubble at a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, five thousand, seven thousand. You know, the one thing I wish was people who say it's a bubble were held accountable, and that's the thing. They're not. Words are cheap. You can say whatever the hell you want, and you're not going to be held accountable. Whereas the guys like me who have been saying. For years, you know, this is the safest store of value we have. Put your money in here. You're not going to regret it. You know, we're right. And no one's ever saying, oh, shit, like, you know, not at least no one in the mainstream, like, oh, we should have just done that. So do I think it's a bubble? I mean, you're going to have fluctuations. But now that the size, the total size, the market uh, cap of Bitcoin as a whole is getting bigger, I think those fluctuations are probably going to be smaller. But um, it's still got a long way to go. I mean, Bitcoin can potentially be the reserve currency of the world. So to get to that point, it's it's got a long way to go. And I mean, we're still very early on the uh, adoption curve. I mean, we're past the early adopters now and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. very much dipping into the early majority. Um, and like you said, I mean, your dad's texting about it. You know how many people <laughs> show me their phone and their parents are texting them about this kind of stuff? It's crazy. So um, do I think it's a bubble? No. It's got a long way to go. And it's, a, it's not like some tech stock, which can just like disappear. It's not ran by some management company, which can take it to on a, on a wrong turn. It, you know, it's got value and it's the next logical step in, in the technology of money and, and how money is managed in the world. So 
I think people are only really waking up to its value now. And that's why you are seeing the, the, the price increase. Because um, again, I hear about it more and more. And, and then they're harder to come by. I mean, they're scarce. I mean, it's not one of those things where there's going to make more of it and people don't want to sell them. So as a result, it's, you're going to have to pay more to get your hands on it. Yeah, I think it's also the way we think in general as humans. You know, it's like a year ago, it was like you waited two months. Now the price went up $100, you know. And this year, it's been like you wait two months, it's gone up $2,000. So you're like, should I risk another $2,000 to buy my one Bitcoin? You know what I say to people? I say, what are you risking if you don't buy it? That's the thing, right? Like, you know, when you're investing, it's money you should be able to afford to lose. So mm. put the money in. And then what do you lose if you don't put it in? That's where you're really going to be kicking yourself. And um, that, that's what you should think about when you're like, should I get in now? It's like, what happens if you don't get in at all? Yeah, I agree with that. And so let's see what other questions people have hit us with. Other interesting cryptos. Uh, people are asking if there are other cryptos which you might consider worth investing in. Yeah. So, I mean, everything is just going to be riding off the coattails of Bitcoin for the most part. Um, and I always tell people this, like they'll ask me, they're like, hey, should I buy like some Dash or Monero? Um, and I'm like, sure. I mean, go nuts. Like if, if you want to play with it, be, like, you know, that's cool. I just buy Bitcoin myself. And I tell them like this time, you know, four, three or four years ago, the the altcoins that people were asking me if they should buy were completely different. Like if you looked at the coin market cap list, the ones that you're buying today weren't there. And we had all these other ones in, in its place. And so the problem with these altcoins is they come and go. Some of them serve some specific purpose, but they come and go. The only one that's really kind of stuck around, you know, you've got Litecoin um, and it's kind of a good test space. But um, again, most of that's just going to follow Bitcoin. Um, I mean, even the creator of Litecoin has more Bitcoin than he does Litecoin. And for good reason. <laughs> so, I mean, your safest bet is just buy Bitcoin. But if you're a good trader or something, well, I'm not much of a trader. But if you're a good trader, then, I mean, go go to town because you can get, uh, you know, you, you can make some serious money off the volatility if you know what you're doing. Mm. And so the follow-up question to that would be, so there's this article on Medium. I mentioned it earlier. Jimmy Song is the author. He writes a couple of articles about Bitcoin, and one article was why Bitcoin is different from other cryptocurrencies. And he was mentioning that there's little place for Litecoin, Monero, and all the other cryptocurrencies, because eventually, if they prove... So right now, I don't know if you agree with this, but what he's saying is that no altcoin has proven like as a market use case. They're just developing new things different than bitcoin in some cases but none of them is being used in the real world in some scenario his argument is that if one of those proves to be super useful anything that's present in other altcoins can be adopted into the bitcoin blockchain yeah definitely so one question would be how is so monero is one of those cryptos which is attracting attention due to its security or privacy aspect in that case how would we adopt the privacy aspect into bitcoin yeah i mean if it was necessary or required then again you could do those things we talked about earlier like a soft fork or a hard fork mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part i mean you're not going to need it i mean if, if if this was really that important people would just hop over and uh and start using or start using Monero, right so again, it's, it's, it's these cases where people think you really need something, but most of the time you don't. 
But in the case for, of people who really need their privacy, keep everything hidden. Don't you think then that Monero has real use and can rival Bitcoin in some way, at least in this area? Yeah, and in, in, in that case, it will survive and it will have its own little niche on the internet mm -hmm. and, and good on them. I mean, it's got an obvious use case and good value for uh, for those people. And, and that's completely cool. Like sometimes, you know, some people want Bitcoin to be some sort of transactional layer. So I'm like, okay, well, scale up Litecoin and use that as your day-to-day -day transactions. You know, try that out. And so they are great uh, test cases for that. And I mean, there's always a little bit of room for some other stuff. But again, it's, it's just going to be that. It's just going to be niche uh, use cases. Um, Bitcoin is the gold standard, you know, so it doesn't make sense to put put your power over into something like Monero when you can be mining Bitcoin. Mm. So again, I, and again, that's, that's I believe it, that's Fluffy Gary, or not Fluffy Guy, Fluffy Pony is the mm -hmm. creator of Monero. And he's hopped around in Trilemma and IRC a bit, but yeah, I mean, he's a cool guy, but uh, again, it's those those minor use cases and, and, and good on them, man. I mean, if the network supports itself, that's cool. And I guess the altcoin that has attracted most attention is Ethereum because yeah. of its smart contracts. Uh, at least the marketing is that it's something much more advanced than Bitcoin. Yeah. The thing is, I'll say this now, is I, I, I've, I've been following Ethereum since day one. In fact, it's kind of funny. Below this chat, we're chatting on Skype. There's you and then there's Charles Hoskinson. And a lot of people in the space won't know who this is now, but he was one of the original creators with Alec and he hopped out of the project early on because he, he didn't foresee it being a, a functional platform and he, he bowed out. So it's kind of funny. I see him and it's just reminded me of those early days. The one thing I ask people is tell me one app that's running on Ethereum, just one and that's working. And th there's none that they can tell you. There's not a single app running on Ethereum that's functional. I know a lot of people who have lost a lot of money, you know, $14, $50 million on smart contracts. It's not a safe place to put your funds. And so really all Ethereum has become has is just become an altcoin. So you're trading Ether or it's become a platform for ICOs, which, you know, most of these ICOs are complete scams and I don't see any value in them. And now the blockchain as a result, because it's getting so bloated with these ICOs, the blockchain is already bigger than Bitcoin's and it's not even as old as Bitcoin. So you're going to get to this point where it's like, am I going to want to host an Ethereum node? No. I mean, for one, it's getting big. And two, it's just for supporting what? Like a bunch of ICOs, uh, which I could care less about. So I really don't see the value in that. And, and a lot of people behind Ethereum, I mean, I get it. Like, it's cool to have try these different things, but the technology isn't there. Any contract that's ever been made of value has been hacked or exploited. And, you know, I think it's just getting, it's just, it's just not something I can get behind it. And especially with, you know, the growth of that blockchain and stuff. Whenever these things get too big, they just become centralized. And as we've seen again, it's just, it's very much influenced by humans. A lot of the decision making, you know, Vitalik and these other guys mm -hmm. in a circle. Uh, and that's not a place I feel safe putting my money myself. Oh, so why were ICOs being using Ethereum in the first place, not Bitcoin? Oh, it's just because Ethereum is, is Turing complete, so you can run applications on top of it. Mm. Um, and it was, and they made it incredibly issue, or easy to issue your own coins, which is cool. I mean, this has existed before. We had uh, MadeSafe, we had NXT. Uh, NXT has recently been forked, and now we've got the Waves platform as well, where people are doing ICOs. So it just made it incredibly easy. And I mean, they've got a good network effect. You know, there's a, a lot of uh, mining power in the Ethereum network. But the way I see it is it's just a lot of these ICOs are a great way to take your ETH away from you, which are then they'll eventually trade for Bitcoin. <laughs> so. There you go. But again, if you're a trader and a speculator, you can make a ton of money. So I'm never going to 
tell you to not do that. But uh, for fundamental value, you know, you got to stick to the Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I had some minor investments in these altcoins and the percentage increase over the past year, at least, has been much bigger than, say, Dash compared to Bitcoin. But as you say, you want to know what you're doing if you're trading because you're not going to go and put in a significant amount of money just to see what happens in a month's time unless you really know what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. And I know guys too, like yourself um, or, or others who, who are really great traders, they just know when to get in, they know when to get out and they are killing it. So again, this space is so volatile. If you've got those skills, like go to town. So in terms of beginners, if there's one crypto that we can recommend to just invest and forget, it would be Bitcoin. Oh, always, yeah, always. So I got another question about the environmental aspect of Bitcoin. This comes up every now and then, like how much mining electricity consumption due to the mining of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Is this going to be just increasing and increasing and arriving into unsustainable territory? Not unsustainable because it's going to be worth your investment. But yes, Bitcoin is going to compete for electricity with other major services. So in our lifetime, that is going to happen. Uh, other things will suffer because that power is being routed to feed the Bitcoin network for sure. In that case, would it be possible for Bitcoin to change the way mining is done or that's fixed? Again, that would have to be a hard fork. It could happen if it, if it makes sense. But, you know, maybe you'll get more efficient mining technology. I mean, I remember when we went from GPUs to ASICs, that was quite a shift. So there could be technological investment on that front. But I, I can't predict the future, but I can tell you, like, uh, Bitcoin is going to be competing for power. So you can, uh, you can expect that to come. We, we talked about adoption earlier. And earlier I was talking to someone from Argentina. And uh, they were telling me that maybe in Europe, nobody, not everyone knows about Bitcoin. But here... That's where we keep our, you know, uh, our main value, you know, that's where we don't trust banks at all. So it's either cash under your bed or you invest in Bitcoin. Yeah. Could you explain in this case any examples that you have or any other countries that you know of? I heard about Venezuela and Brazil as well. Like, is this something, maybe perhaps one of the major real world use cases in, in crypto, in the crypto space so far? Yeah, I mean, it's the safest store of wealth. I mean, especially if you're in a country where, uh, you know, your government is constantly changing or you're worried they might raid your bank account. I mean, I, I would put whatever you got in Bitcoin because um, then you know it's safe. So, yeah, I mean, if people, I mean, it requires a lot of financial education. So if people are, are up and up and, and this is something they care about, then I think, yeah, Bitcoin will be a logical conclusion they fall to. How about nations creating their own cryptocurrencies? We've seen... Russia mentioned this, Estonia. I think there's also a lot of fake news and I think newspapers are capitalizing. <laughs> I mean, here in Catalonia, we have yeah. this political issue right now with independence. And one of the presumably fake news I items I've read was that Catalonia, that is now independent or so they say, uh, will issue its own cryptocurrency, which I presume is fake. Yeah. What, what's this all about? Yeah. Is it possible at all or does it make no sense? No, I mean, you're going back to, it's basically just an upgrade to the existing government system. I mean, if you've got a centralized blockchain, it's not, you know, it has to be distributed. It has to be nimble. Else, otherwise, it's just a controlled system. Again, you're not, you're not going to get any of the benefits. Yep. All right. So I think the last question we have is perhaps this is for the more advanced people in the audience, but 
Uh, we have some people who observe the order books at exchanges like Kraken, people who are... Uh, let's start by explaining what the order book is in the first place. Sure. Uh, well, on an exchange, an order book is just showing you a list of all the buy orders and sell orders. So you can see what people want to pay and then what people are willing to sell them for. And then when you re reach that point in the middle, that's where the usually the last sell, sell trade prices. Yeah. Right. So one of the concerns that people mentioned to me was that perhaps whales are influencing the price of Bitcoin by manipulating the order books or exchanges themselves manipulating these order books. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, most of those exchanges got bots, bots running like crazy. So uh, they're always going to be, uh, you know, affecting the price. And I mean, most of them have bots that are hooked up to other exchanges to, to add liquidity. So you kind of get this ripple effect. Uh, if, if one plays around, it's going to affect the other one. And I mean, a lot of these Chinese exchanges have already been uh, blamed with uh, manipulating orders, creating fake orders. So, I mean, a lot of that happens for sure. So how does this work? Like maybe in simple terms, is it to inflate the price? What's the game behind it? Yeah. So you can do a lot of fake orders, right? So um, you could just say there was a, you know, say it's trading at uh, 8,000, you'll put in a, a fake order to sell it for 8,200 and it'll look like it got bought, but it's really just buying back and forth with each other. And these are non, uh, these are transactions where there's actually no uh, cash changing hands because uh, it's internal. So then it just boosts up the price on the order book. And that would trigger the buy orders of genuine people. Exactly. So yeah, if you've got other orders that are in place, it'll trigger all those. And, that, and that's the crazy thing with electronic trading, right? You get all these orders that are placed and sitting dormant, and then you can trigger a whole bunch of them. All right. Is there any other big news that we failed to mention or some other thoughts from your end? Oh, man, just uh, stick to the basics. I think once you're in it long enough, you start seeing how much uh, is nonsense. So um you know, maintain a node. If you've got cheap electricity, do some mining. And uh, more importantly, keep the coins, you know, hold access to your private keys. I mean, especially now that we're seeing all these forks, it's a shame to see the uh, exchanges take your money. And, um, you know, you've been around long enough, you've heard of Gox, and there was definitely some other exchange failures. You know, they go down and they'll take your coins with it. So keep your coins safe and, you know, take the sweet gains from the forks. And uh, don't forget why Bitcoin was created in the first place. I mean, it's pretty simple. Yep. All right. And I obviously link in for those who are just starting off. I link in some good resources. Some of them we mentioned in the other episode, like Trilemma and all the others. Mm -hmm. And the, these hardware wallets that we mentioned, I've got a few of them in front of me here, like the Ledger Nano. Yeah. All the good stuff I'll be linking up in the show notes. And so that's it. Thank you very much, Mitchell, for all this cool information. I hope we can get you on the show maybe in a year's time. See if yeah, see what happens. reach yeah. 60,000 <laughs> and we can make it a early show. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Eventually, you stop worrying about the price relative to fiat. You, you're always looking at your Bitcoin balance itself and you want more of those. Uh, I know that's the way I look at it. So um, I'm always trying to ramp that uh, up. And just to include in the show notes, uh, how to make a paper wallet. That's always my preferred route. All right. Will do. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Mitchell. Thanks, Sean, and I can't wait to uh, chat again, and uh, I'm glad you're in the space. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. 
We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.